Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. By Riverside. Welcome back to episode 120 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod as we are at the middle point of both the American League Championship Series as well as the National League Championship Series. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. Dan, how are we feeling about the Philadelphia Phillies? Um, I know I, I faded a little bit there between the Dan and the Galati. I had to to hold it for a second was that, there. but Was that emotional? Like, Was that a dramatic effect, or did you forget my last name for a second? <laughs> No, I started I, – I said your first name and then I was going to ask you the next follow-up question and then I realized that I did not introduce you at, with your last name. So then I stopped myself before I started saying the question and then proceeded to just add the Galati. Those <laughs> <laughs> oh, are up to man. nothing. How, how are we feeling? How are the vibes in the household? I know you're, you're an emotional wreck right now at this point in time, and it's been a roller coaster, but how are we doing? Good, man. This team is handling business. You know, that DS, it felt a lot more emotional and more personal because it's a division rival, and obviously there was a lot more talk, um, you know, not outside of what was said in the clubhouse. Um, you want to, I, we can talk about. I don't want to bring that back up, but I I had to shut off our boys at the compound yesterday because they were crying about the sanctity of the clubhouse again. Uh, did you I get through the whole without, thing? No, did you get I through the whole without, thing? I think you, without. That's why because it but got I think better. They don't had the context. I think, but I think one, I'm over it. Two, like I don't think they had the context of like. I'm going to trust like the four reporters I've now heard who have heard the audio of it of like he clearly wanted that to be heard. Like he kept going on and on and on when there were clearly cameras and recorders around. Like so like like I get it. Also, it was like Ian Hap would never like Ian, you would never do that. Stop. Like you would never be dumb enough to do anyway. I'm over that. Um, well, there was a lot more. Well, did you did you get to did you get to Tom's rebuttal? No, which see that's yeah, it got it got better, and that's because Zach made a good point, um, and kind of saying similarly, like you know, all players are going to say that the clubhouse is a sanctuary and that's a private space, but they made as they started talking through the situation itself, they started to kind of come to the realization of exactly what you said, like. They didn't mention one time because I started to get – I was driving to work yesterday and, and I started to to talk verbally out when they were – when I heard like them continuing to harp on the point that it's a sanctuary. I literally said they have recorded audio file of him saying it. Like that is the kicker to me that all players should and kind over of realize. And over and over again. And, and yeah, and multiple times is like – 
because Zach made a good point of like, if the cameras are in your face, you should know better. And there, Tom made a good point of like, there, like you said on here, there are plenty of places that you can go that are private and media can't access in a big league clubhouse. You know, it's not like this condensed trailer on the side of the, the, the field, like you get in some college programs or whatever it is. It's literally like a, a whole mecca of like training rooms, weight rooms, all these things like that, that are completely private and media doesn't have access to. And, just like once they kind of process the information, like the audio file is what gets me. It's like, that's the end of a story for me, right? Like it, you knew, either you knew what you were doing or you're just not very bright. And I'm, like I said, I think the biggest thing would probably be that there were probably at least 15, 15 dudes to 20 dudes in that, in that clubhouse going, why does he keep doing this? You know what I'm saying? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? And, and that's where we'll leave it at that. But they, they, they came through on it as yeah. I was frustrated, but I, I kept listening. And again, like it was just like, I'm not going to keep because also like they, it's not their fault. They're recording it Monday morning. So like the DS had wrapped up on Thursday. They were, you know, it's the last first time they'd, you know, talked. And I was like, when I'm listening to it, two games into the next series, like I'm over this. Um, But my point was that, that, felt like there was a lot more emotion it was a little more personal you know fan bases even too like just back and forth you know there's a lot of it's it's a division rivalry this one feels more like the diamondbacks are kind of just an object in the phillies way of accomplishing their goal and through two games that's that's what it's looked like they've looked like the better team in all facets they've taken care of business now they have to go on the road and anything can happen and arizona's played well through the first two series of the playoffs so it, the momentum can swing back, but you look at the pitching matchups and it doesn't feel like it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just it's fascinating. I have a bunch of stats when we get into it a little more of what the Phillies have done through this postseason. It's just like – it's incredible. The way they're playing, the, the way it looks, like they look like the best team in the postseason. And I know Texas has been really good. They finally lost one game last night, you know. And Houston's obviously really good. But what the Phillies have done – factoring they beat a 104 win team it's been impressive yeah and i i think that again you mentioned it on here we've talked about it several times we talked about it when we previewed it was the biggest test for the phillies was the team that they played in the ds and completely understand anybody i know we we kind of talked about it before with the reseeding of the playoffs and you know, I think there's way too much logistically that goes into that, um, that people don't factor into it. But in, in reality, like you could understand that, like the what the DS was probably should be what the CS is. And they probably probably yep. should be getting a seven game series between the Phillies and the Braves and all that animosity and intensity that was kind of went hand in hand with that. But that's just not the circumstances of the year in the playoffs that we've had. The Diamondbacks deserve to be in the position that they're in. It's nothing to discredit them, but they just feel like they're they're a they're young, right? Same thing we talked about with the Orioles. You're at the beginning of hopefully what is many 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 trips to the DS and the CS, and hopefully potentially a World Series for that group that they're building. You know, and they're green. Even even their veterans, right? Christian Walker's never played in a playoff game, from my understanding. Right. Or if he was, he was a bench piece, you know, for a playoff team. And so even their their most veteran players have never been in this scenario. Philly's different. Obviously, going to Philly now is is a complete, you know, home field advantage for the Phillies. And they're gonna head to Arizona. They're in a really good position to, to handle the, their business, right? We talked about, I'd be surprised if it gets the six games. I still kind of feel that way that I'd be surprised if it gets the six games, but who's to say the Diamondbacks can't play good ball the, the rest of the way and, and maybe take two at home, but I don't think it's going to be necessarily a home field advantage for them in, in Arizona. No, I don't think it's going to be a home field advantage, but you know, you're more comfortable there and it can kind of, you know, the off day and then getting back home to where things are familiar or you've been all year your clubhouse, your field, just all of it can kind of give you that deep breath and refocus. And you can kind of put what happened the first two nights of this series in the rear view and just kind of take your deep breath and say, okay, let's go, you know, just one inning at a time. We can win here. We have like, you know, I think that hell it resets the series almost a little bit. Now they can't get those two games back. They're down to nothing. They have to win at least two in Arizona of the three to make it even back to Philly and then 
if you do that, you still got to go back to Philly, which like, and you're going to go back to Philly, you know, apparently they're sticking with their plan. They're going to throw Gallon in five and Merrill Kelly in game six. So you, you'd have Merrill Kelly and then I don't know what in game seven. So like it, possible, but it doesn't look good. And what I'm if, actually really surprised that Tori Lovello announced yesterday that they're not going to push Gallon on three days rest because I don't know if, I guess I'll be more surprised if he holds to that. If the Phillies win and go up 3 nothing, and you roll out a bullpen game and an elimination game in the CS 3 nothing, seems kind of strange to me. Does it seem strange or does he have an actual perspective on what what the reality is? And I'm not saying that you, you don't want to tell your clubhouse that you're punting on, on what is the most important games of the year, but... Yeah, I mean, it, you have a, you have a large you field of climb, but are we... being down 3 nothing? and protecting their ace and the future of their franchise. I guess it, I, that's such a tough question because for me, like sitting there thinking about it, it's like I don't know that you're ruining the future of your ace if you send them out there on three days rest. Yeah, I guess like, that I would guess be that's the only – like, It's like it's, like, it's not with a With a full offseason behind just, him, right, like ahead like of I'm, him. You know, right, like but, I'm not sure that it it affects anything. Like, now he's probably never – I don't know if he's ever done it. I'd have to go back and look, and I haven't looked that up. But it, to me, it's just like, I. do we have He'll data points? The maybe they do. Maybe he they have data the points. He will want the ball, of course. But do we have yeah. data points that point to it? Do they have data points that point to this is why we're not doing it? Maybe. I'm not privy to that information. And I guess for me, that's why it's just like – it's not a guarantee that you're – He's not like you're hurting him for next year. You're hurting him in that moment. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know because now I know the Phillies are throwing Taiwan Walker, who a lot of people don't think is great, but Taiwan Walker against an Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen game definitely seems advantage Phillies. And you would think that, I don't know, you would think that they're yeah, looking so for the advantage here. I don't, it's weird. He's now at 226 and a third innings on the year. It's a lot which his next highest was last season at 184. Yeah, it's a lot. And before that it was 121. So like so you he's, can't fault he, him. You're right. Yeah, no. It, he's he's getting up to 230, but again, that's now the one of the challenges is, about is, playing this deep into the postseason too. We talk yeah. about it every year with every team is like these guys you you there's no way around it. Like you need your horses to go if you're going to win this time of year, they need to be fresh and that's why I think you're seeing now what the Phillies and Dave Dombrowski did at the deadline of being able to roll a six-man rotation the entire second half of the season to keep Wheeler and Nola fresher and Ranger Suarez fresher so they're not pitching every fifth day but they're pitching every sixth day was and a great and move. I think not everybody can do like the Diamondbacks couldn't do that no. at all because they're fighting for their playoff hopes. You know, right. so this is one of those scenarios where only the teams that are sitting there in July understanding that they control their own dis- destiny and they feel comfortable about the position they're in to roll a six man rotation and get those guys fresh can do, right? We've I think we've kind of seen this and I know it didn't come to fruition this year as well. But the Dodgers have started to do this, whether you want to call them phantom IL or whatever it is, but like getting Clayton Kershaw off his feet for two, three, four, you know, six weeks in the in the summer to be able to be fresh. And obviously he laid an egg, but again, I don't think he was healthy. He was also hurt. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was pushing back through injuries. But I think this is what we're starting to see teams like the Dodgers who have seen these ace level pitchers and that, that perfectly segues me to the Max Scherzer situation. And we'll get into the performance last night as we're recording here on Thursday morning. But that's something that I think has been a a huge detriment to Max Scherzer's playoff performances has been the fact that he is an absolute workhorse for those 162. And Clayton Kershaw has been that absolute workhorse for those 162 and then going into the postseason. And when these guys, when everything is magnified, but when you think about it from a physical standpoint of being able to be your healthiest and your your strongest and your, your best position to be successful, it's not realistic to expect the guy to be at his best in October but we hold them their heads over the fire to be the best in October and to be the best when it matters most and to be physically in a in a position that's going to allow you to be successful and there's a really interesting balance i believe in all in but the difference between the two of like can we start to see organizations that start to 
pull the reins back on some of their their top of the line starters to make sure that they get their you know six starts pre postseason to work back up to full form. And then the other aspect of that is how important is a Cy Young? How important is regular season stuff? How like all of these external factors that come into it? It's like how many pitchers are going to sign up to miss three starts, four starts in, in the middle of the regular season when they feel like they can win a Cy Young and, and make more money in a free agent setting and arbitration because, you know, organizations will throw it back in your face like, oh, you didn't, you know, you only pitched 150 innings this year. Why would we pay you like a 2-5 pitcher? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, first thing, can you hear the the leaf blower outside the window? Is that is this no. bad podcasting? Because I swear, no, I can't hear it. Here's a little peek behind the curtain for everyone. Every Thursday, the neighborhood has the landscape people come by, and I swear the guy on the leaf blower just sits outside my office window for about forty five minutes, and just he ain't working. He's just holding the leaf blow. I, I I don't know what I did to the guy, but I it's, it drives me up a wall. I feel like I'm going crazy every Thursday morning. Um. Yeah, and I think that I think the other side of that argument, as far as the value and when you have to go into contract negotiations, we're seeing a little bit with Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola, because the six man rotation misses what, two, three starts because of it. But like, if you can go out and then do what he's doing in the postseason, he's making himself a lot of money on the free agent because every contending team that's going to want him to come pitch for him, whether it's the Phillies or not, he can go. Well, look, look, you the value of sure, I I didn't throw two hundred plus innings this year, but. I did once we went on this run in the postseason, and look what I did in the postseason. You know, I think that's kind of the way you have to look at it. And and you're right. Every organization is going to handle it differently. Every organization is going to have a different philosophy on it. Every guy is going to have a different thing on it. The thing that I think is interesting with Scherzer a little bit um, is that he, he also feels like every all 33 starts, he's max, max, max effort for all 33 of those starts. You know, whereas you see some of these other guys and – you worry about it a little bit with all the, the velo guys, but it's never looked like easy velo for Max Scherzer. And I don't know how much of that is yeah. even true or myth, but it never looks like it's just popping out of his head. It always is forever. Every pitch, every it's a start in May, and it looks high stress in the sixth inning because he is that competitive. And that is who he is, and you can't change that. And you could never ask Max Scherzer, like, hey, dude, it's May 18th. Just pump the brakes. You'd be taking away – a little bit of who Max Scherzer is, and you'd be taking away some of his effectiveness. What's made him so good for so long is that competitive fire, that juiced up side of him. And and I don't think this start is indicative of who he is. I mean, it's so I think it's so it would be so unfair to judge him. But before we flip into that, I just Jason Stark, for anyone who's not subscribed to the athletic, writes in the postseason. He does the weird and wild all year. But some of the stats he throws out there, and, and you see some of what the Phillies have done this postseason. I'm just going to throw a couple of these numbers at you real quick, and if we want to talk about them, we can, and if not, we don't have to. The Rangers had the chance to break this record, but the other night the Phillies just broke the record. In their first eight postseason games, they've trailed for a total of six at-bats. Not six innings, not six games, six at-bats the Phillies have trailed in this postseason. Six at-bats. Three in the ninth inning against Atlanta, um, one at bat against Atlanta in game three before Cassianos tied it, two at bats against Atlanta uh, when then Cassianos tied it again in game four. Those are the six at bats they've been behind. Like that's incredible. The Rangers could have broken that because this was their eighth postseason game last night. They went behind and never took a lead in that game. So they trailed for the, the, the entirety of that game last night. That's pretty impressive. They've now out-homered their playoff opponents 19-4 to in this postseason. We talk about all the time what wins this year. They're plus 15 in the uh, in the home run category through eight games. They're also plus 33 run differential overall. That's pretty impressive. Their pitching staff has a sub-2 ERA. Their entire pitching staff, Zach Wheeler's actually ninth on the Phillies right now in ERA in postseason with a 2-3. Like, that's how good they've been. Aaron Nolan has sitting at a .96. Like 90% of their relievers have a zero. Um, I, when you start to add this stuff up, Trey Turner, who everyone's been talking about, like oh, Schwarber's now had these two big games. Castellanos obviously had like five homers and seven at-bats at one point through those uh, three games. Harper obviously had the big dramatic game three. Trey Turner, though, is <laughs> – his triple slash is 500, 559, 967 in this postseason. Um in the history of baseball for 30 at-bats in the postseason. 
guys hitting 500, Manny Ramirez in 08 hit 520, Billy Hatcher in 1990 with the Reds hit 519, and Trey Turner's hitting 500 um, with that many at-bats in this postseason. What year was Billy, Billy Hatcher out there hacking? 1990. The Reds. Okay, cool. Billy Hatcher, uh, I didn't get his triple slash line. I don't know what his slug was, but it's just, I mean, and like I could keep going on and on and on. I mean, Aaron Nola, I mean, if you want to talk pitching a little bit, Aaron Nola has been unbelievable in this postseason. He's got a .96 ERA. Uh, He's now made eight career postseason starts. He's given up zero earned runs in four of them. Like he, he's just as big of a game pitcher as big of a game pitcher gets, which means you laugh about because for years he wasn't labeled that in Philadelphia, even though he had zero postseason starts. Still, but like the, the still this year that was creeping up in conversations. This year, when he had a bad start in July against the Atlanta, the, the historic Atlanta Braves lineup, it was Aaron Nola can't win the big game, and Aaron Nola is the kicking boy of all kicking boys in this in that city. And like that is where I I get more frustrated. People get frustrated about Philly sports fans in in general, right? Obviously, I don't get frustrated about the just how they act and they're passionate and things like that. I don't care, quite frankly. It's when fan bases don't appreciate the quality yeah. of player that they have and treat a Wednesday game in July like it's the end all be all when for Aaron Nola, it's just frankly not, you know what I'm saying? And to yeah. say that, you know, to label this guy as a, not, I mean, me and you have been joking about the big game Aaron Nola before he ever made a playoff start. That's how much of a narrative this was is like you, you said before the year that you have friends that you were going to tally up how many times this is a, a make or break start from Aaron Nola. And it only happens for Aaron Nola, right? It doesn't happen yep. for Zach Wheeler. It doesn't happen for Ranger Suarez. It didn't happen for Cole Hamels. Like historically speaking, like Aaron Nola is the guy that gets this brought up. And he, sure, he had some rough outings in September against the Mets when the Phillies still had a hypothetical quote unquote chance to compete for the division. And now he's turned around, and I even saw stuff before his start in game two that was Aaron Nola's got to make himself prove himself tonight. It, what does he have to prove at this point? Right. Like, I it, that narrative, like the next start he makes, whether it's against the Diamondbacks or whether it's beyond in the World Series, the narrative is still going to be, well, is, is the good Aaron Nola going to show up? Aaron Nola could lay an egg and give up seven earned runs in two innings. And he would still be one of the best postseason pitchers that we've seen in recent memory. And he deserves all the credit in the world for that. And it, it, the reason I cut in there is because it frustrates me to no end when you don't appreciate somebody who's been that valuable for you in the most important games. Yeah. And I mean, he's made himself a lot of money because I like he he's proven it. I mean, he is like him and Wheeler right now in the postseason are just as good as any of the Astros guys we've lauded. Like, you go out there and you expect they are going to give you, and I think last year even when, like, he didn't have a great World Series start last year. Like, he was gassed at that point. They look, they both look fresher. I mean, they look tremendous. And and so here you go. This is, again, this is from Jason Stark's article from uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, in the history of postseason baseball, how many pitchers, of that many starts of six have had that many starts of six inning or more and no earned runs over the first eight starts of their postseason career. It's Aaron Nola and Wait Hoyt. And Wait Hoyt hasn't pitched in 85 years. So like Wait, Wait Hoyt <laughs> only pitched against the, the I-95 corridor. Right. Like that, like that's exactly like so of all these like of all the postseasons we've had, of all the big moments. And we had and people quote, in World unquote, War II big, at that time. Big game pitchers that you that we've lauded throughout the last 85 years of baseball Aaron Nola's up there now like he solidified himself through eight like this is now eight postseason starts this isn't the first two this isn't three like this eight postseason starts four shut out um four have been scoreless outings he's going six innings in pretty much all of them he's been unbelievable and so when you look at that recipe for the Phillies they like and the offense has gotten so much attention because they're bombs away and and just the last little tidbit in here um three straight games they've now uh Four straight games, I'm sorry. Four straight playoff games, all in Philly. Games three and four of the DS, one and two of the CS. They've homered three times off a pitcher. A.J. smith Shalver in game three when they really broke it open. Spencer Strider in that last game. Um, Zach Gallen on Monday and Merrill Kelly on Tuesday. 
like every, they're getting that attention, but then you turn and you look and it's the, been the pitching too. I mean, they have the lowest team ERA. Like I said, it's sub two of any team that's played in the postseason. Like they have been the best team in the postseason, and they are a really good team, and they're built for like. And again, I think I think it needs to be said that there's a difference between being built for 162 and being able to roll out there and win when you're you know when you're playing your 17th game in 17 days or your 14th game in 20 days and you're facing another team's five and it's a Sunday at one o'clock on the road and you just want to get home, you're on the back end of a night and being able to win those games and being built to have the depth and being able to win the games when three of your guys are out of the lineup and you, you know, what the Dodgers can do with their pitching throughout the regular season and have guys perform. It's completely different than when you're rolling into this time of year and Everyone's rested. You're facing everyone's best, and everybody's in the lineup, and everybody's playing to be built to do that. To be built to to like we've said it, challenge the fence offensively, and have really, really plus stuff on the mound, and have two guys at the front of that. And again, I, I got to stop getting out of that national narrative. Two got three guys because again, Ranger Suarez, who might not have the stuff, but is as cold blooded as they come. Like to have that, you were built for this time of year. You were built to make this one month sprint, and they they've shown it, and they've been better than everybody so far. And, and I think what's super interesting too is because I mean I know me and you agree on this is that there's no one way to win in October, right? Like, do you think the Phillies have created a? I mean, it's a copycat league, so if you don't expect every team to be analyzing what the Phillies did and, and try to build from here. But what do you think? How do you, how do you value that? And that like, cause I still don't like while this Phillies team is built for this time of year, I don't necessarily think there's a cut and dry way to build for this time of year. If that makes sense. No, there's not. But I think it just goes back to, I think, I think the, the things that you, you should copycat that the Phillies have done and it's not able to do it for everyone is one. They have a bunch of guys in their lineup who could challenge the fence. Like you should like that Marlins offense that they, if they roll that same offense out this year, I will have the same expectations for them. You're not going to win with that offense. Milwaukee kind of same thing. Like you Milwaukee's offensively needs to be a little bit better because if they could have slugged a little bit more against Arizona, instead of getting a couple quick runs and then expecting to just throw zeros up there, it's hard. The other thing is I think what the Phillies have done, which they copycatted the, the Astros, is the bullpen, building velocity in the bullpen. Now, Matt Gelb had a great article before the NLCS started. The Phillies have the hardest throwing bullpen in baseball this year, and they specifically targeted it because I think when you go back and look at last year's World Series against the Astros, that really won it for the Astros. Was that like Not only did they have great starting pitching, but as soon as they went to the bullpen, the Phillies didn't do anything, and they, it was just guy after guy after guy. It's like that Bugs Bunny me, uh, uh, cart, the cartoon of Bugs Bunny baseball where it's just like you're marching the guys up there, and it was just like they were marching guys out to the mound throwing 100. It was just like over and over, and the Phillies thought about that. Now, there's also some things that I guess the Phillies have figured out. You know, the Phillies pitching brain trust that they figured out that was – mentioned in the article but they weren't allowed to it wasn't allowed to be divulged further about maintaining that velocity through this time of year they think that they've hacked some things that's why you still see all of those outside of Matt Strom who's eclipsed his season innings total by like 55 innings at this point already um everyone in that bullpen has maintained their velocity actually matter of fact Sir Anthony Dominguez is throwing harder now than we've pretty much seen all year he's averaging 98 miles an hour on his fastball he was averaging like 96 all season but all, all those other guys they've maintained a Kimbrel who everyone thought he was gonna fall off a cliff and be throwing 93 this time of year still throwing as hard as he was in the beginning of the year Alvarado Jeff Hoffman so I think that's another big thing that like guys that can challenge the fence you can copycat that you can find guys that can challenge that fence and build your offense that way and I think you can build bullpens with elite velocity like, don't go out there. Like, again, Arizona's bullpen, I forget the exact number. I think it's like they average like 94 or something like that. Philadelphia averages 97 out there. Like, those three miles an hour matter. And I was saying this to you. We said it, I think it was probably the last podcast when I had the Astros game on. Like, when the Rangers were getting to Verlander a little bit, it's a lot different when the slider off of the fastball that's 94 and the slider that's off of a fastball that's 96. Like you can you can wait to make your mind up a little bit and read that pitch. So I think those are some of the things that you can kind of copycat a little bit. Yeah, and the, the bullpen piece is something that because I had saw that those numbers and 
I'm probably one of those people that is on the side of not all fastballs are created equal, right? Zach Gallon's fastball might be swing and miss better than, you know, Jordan Hicks fastball, right? In terms of swing and miss. And there's length of velocity difference between those two. But I think why I'm super impressed about how they've built their bullpen is understanding that while not all fastballs are created equal, the culmination of eight dudes that throw a hundred you're going to have different guys that are going to overwhelm. And sure, the one guy, you know, I mean, Craig Kimbrough's not a great example because his fastball is really good from a low slot. He can attack up in the zone. But let's just say uh, Gregory Soto, who throws the ball, you know, to the moon, but like it's not exactly like a rise ball. You know, it's not something that gets like 40% swing and miss. But again, when you're going through a lineup two times, if you need your bullpen to do that, and it's just like these hitters have to just constantly gear up for a hundred, the combination of all that is going to overwhelm offenses enough to create the results that you're looking for. So it's not necessarily, you know, because I think a lot of organizations get confused because they go, well, not all fastballs are created equal. So why would we just sign guys that throw 99? It's like, yeah, sure. That one individual that throws 99 might not be elite, but the combination of eight guys that throw 99 is going to be very hard to hit. Because again, as we've seen, if you just took batting average, slugging percentage, every Every statistical offensive stat against fastballs, the higher the velocity gets, the lower the numbers get. And it's like, imagine being able to have a pitching staff that all reach the highest point of those numbers. It's going to be very hard to hit. Very, very hard to hit. And where I think a lot of organizations on the challenge the fence side of things push back is not all guys that challenge the fence are created equal as well. You know, Bryce Harper is a super important piece of that because that's a guy who can hit 300 and challenge the fence. And he strikes out, sure, and he and he has some bad matchups against lefties that can execute a slider lefty on lefty. Yeah, of course, like like, like any good lefty would do. And the we talked about it with the Corey Seegers and the Jordan Alvarez is, is like – you can't just build. I mean, I think the Minnesota Twins were a great example and they put themselves in a position to win, but like that's a lineup that only challenges the fence. Sure. Right. And if you try to get too many guys that can only challenge the fence without guys like a Juan Soto who can put the ball in play as well, who has that, you know, kind of Swiss Army knife where they can hit the long ball, they can also draw a walk, they can also not strike out. Right. Imagine a, a lineup, because this is the age old debate. A lineup one through nine of Kyle Schwarber's. Right, and we've talked about this. You don't want a lineup one through nine of Kyle Schwarber. You wouldn't want a lineup one. Kyle Schwarber becomes valuable in a lineup of other guys who can do other things. And and like you said, you just need. But there are guys who can challenge the like. You need a lineup full of guys that can challenge. And Trey Turner are a great example. They're great hitters who can also happen to challenge the fence. Not at a Kyle Schwarber level. JT Real Muto can challenge the fence. Yep, exactly. When it matters most, they they have been able to hit those home runs. When it's when it's magnified in those short samples of like you said, Trey Turner's eight games in hitting five hundred. Does that mean with power with nine hundred slugging? Does that mean he's going to spend one sixty two hitting that? No, because he's going to go hit you know, even 270 for a stretch and hit 270 with all singles because that's Trey Turner. But if you can, and and that's where I think it's so difficult because as a copycat league, you're going to have teams that are going to go, oh, now we need to do this X, Y, Z. And not even do it wrong, just like get the right guys that don't perform that you get the cold stretch in October. And and that's, but to me, you're right. And to me, that's the part where you can't copycat. Like again, because- these games aren't played on paper, Atlanta Braves, or you would be the World Series champions because you were the most talented. But, like, I, and I don't want to turn – I'm just trying to make a point here. I don't want to turn this into Brian Snicker bashing. But, like, the core of your team plays, like, 160 games, all of them. And that's great, and that's durable, and that's why you guys are probably really good over 162 because all of your best players are out there every single day wearing out teams four and fives. Whereas, like, and Mundo Sosa is playing – 50 games, 60 games for the Phillies. And, you know, so, like, on paper, that's great. and But that's all you can do as a front office is you can copycat on paper. You can try and do things on paper. Now, I think sometimes where teams get into trouble is they go too far, like you said. Like, no, don't just be like, well, Kyle Schwarber is the guy that we need to, like, they hit home runs. We got to get him. No, because if, if you have a lineup that's Schwarber and Gallo and, like, guys who only do those things, then you are going to struggle like the Twins. 
but it's I think gonna be like a hot knife through butter. We're gonna need, yeah, we're <laughs> gonna need that. Like you need balance, like you said, like to have a guy like Trey Turner be able to do it, and then the fact that he's super hot in October. This is his best postseason ever. He's this isn't a guy who's in his first postseason. So you don't know if he's gonna, he's not gonna like we've seen instances where he hasn't performed this time of year. That's the, the thing that I think the Phillies have right now that you, you can't replicate, like you said. This is like a college – and I said it, I think, last time. This is like a college baseball team. This team loves each other. Like, I, I don't know how you replicate. You can't. You like, can't. They, that's where they got lucky. Not in professional – like in professional no. athletes, that's really hard to do. And that's – and there's always – for every team that wins a championship in every single sport, there is luck involved. And that's just the way it goes because that's how postseasons work. You need to be hot at the right time. Like, they found a, a culture and they found the right group of guys who genuinely – like being together and spending time together. And so when one of them's not performing and getting the big hit every time, he's not standing there arms folded in right field as a ground ball's hit towards him. You know what I mean? Like, no, they're 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 legitimately out there for each other and like, okay, so what? I didn't get the hit this time. Someone else is going to do it. I need to go take care of what I can moving forward. That's the piece you are never going to be able to replicate on paper in the offseason. And I don't think there is a quantifiable way, and I'm I'm very analytical when in decision making specifically. There's not a quantifiable way to to have culture, as no. much as the age old example. Oh, good clubhouse guy. It's like sure, whatever. But there is no exact science, especially in professional athletics, where a guy is getting paid to do a job. You're not recruiting these guys. You can't just right. vet through and and ask that like you need vet. And when decisions are made on wins and losses, right? Your pre- your owner is going to expect the general manager if he says we want a superstar, here's the money to go get a superstar. And you go, well, yeah, I don't really like Ronald Acuna's attitude as a general manager. Well, the owner is going to go, I'm going to find somebody who does, right. I'm going to go find I don't him because care we need like superstars. Yeah. I don't care if you like his – I don't he think his attitude is going to match. Now, those those middle fringe guys, right? Those middle fringe guys that like – Your bench you know, pieces, maybe the guys, right. Exactly. Like those can be guys like, hey, I've had this guy in the past. He completely gets his role. The Kike Hernandez is of the world, right? That they're not going to be selfish. They're not going to get mad when they're not getting theirs and when they're struggling, whatever it is, I, right? I, Being able to have that. And like I think those guys are important like – they're important to a certain point, right? Like Garrett Stubbs. Let's take Garrett Stubbs as an example for the Phillies. Huge clubhouse guy. He's the party. Like you watch those celebrations. He's in the middle of it. He's the the clubhouse DJ. He is the guy that like he is that glue guy that you're talking about. He's a great clubhouse guy. How important is Garrett Stubbs on the Pirates? Not at all. And and to give you this too, <laughs> if he was a free agent this offseason, what would he wouldn't you pay be getting him? big money? Yeah, nothing. Right. Like to bring him back, would you sacrifice a position on your roster to bring him back when you no. don't need to? And that's where it's again, it's like he becomes you cannot... right. He becomes more important because they also have Kyle Schwarber and they have Bryce Harper and they have Trey yeah. Turner and they have Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler and eight dudes in their pen who throw a billion. Now Garrett yeah. Stubbs is important because he's a clubhouse guy because he's a vibes guy, and it's that's the big thing. There is is it's unquantifiable to understand what it means to build culture, especially through free agency. That's why the player development in-house driven mentality can be good for that, you know, for culture wise, but then it might not be the superstar factory that you need it to be. And it, and I think the funniest thing about all this is like, if I was a front office executive and you gave me the choice for the next you know, let's just say the Phillies are up 2-0 for the next five games and potentially a World Series. If you said you can either keep going with the Phillies lineup or you could pick the Braves lineup, I would pick the Braves lineup. Like I know it's crazy. Like in, But again, for analytical decision-making, right? Because like if you're going to tell me, what, well, in October they just perform better and it's like prove that. Quantify that. I, I, I don't. I right? don't quantify I, that more than just like they sure. had. A hot, but I'm saying like they had a hot stretch. Now, when you have Derek Jeter's numbers of 162 games in the playoffs, I can completely get behind the fact that like yes, Derek Jeter had a different, <laughs> just different instinct in the playoffs. I mean, he was a great regular season player, first ballot Hall of Famer, all the things considered with that. But it's just like if I'm going to hang my hat on and put my job on the line. I'm taking the culmination of nine superstar talents that have a historic regular season and hoping that they'll figure it out. Like, I think I, that's that, just me. I don't know. Like over the next five games, I would, I would, I would 
disagree with you and I would take the Phillies lineup because five games you're still in this. You know what I mean? You're still in the if if you wanted to say for the next for next year's postseason, you can take the yeah, Phillies exactly. lineup or like you can take the Braves the postseason right now and just roll right into next season's postseason and play it out. Then again. I think your and point you has a little more. Yeah, one hundred percent. But I think like for the next and and that again again though I don't know how much separation. When it comes to postseason, there is between the Phillies lineup and the Braves lineup. And I think that is part of what the Phillies have done. Because again, when you look at it, would the Phillies have finished 14 games behind the Braves if Trey Turner doesn't have a... Like, the Braves were historically good. Trey Turner through July was historically bad for him over the course of his career. Bryce Harper came back... If if you took a Trey Turner average year and a an average Bryce Harper year because he wasn't that when he came, you know, he rushed back. If you had started on opening day and those guys were normal, like I think that gap shrinks too. Now I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying like that Phillies team was eight games under 500 in June. And then they, they played at a hundred win pace for the rest of the year. So like the separation is a little bit shorter. No, it's, it's definitely smaller, but I would say the, the Braves your probably point, have I understand advantage what your of point is. six positions, six out of the nine, I would say. Um, second, third, slam dunk. Yep. Catcher, close, but I'd give it to the Catcher's Braves. Catcher's a coin Sean, flip to me. Yeah, I mean, Sean close. Murphy really petered off after that start. Their numbers, yeah, 100%. Their numbers were about identical. Yeah. Those two, so first, that's a coin are flip. are we calling Harper a first baseman? I guess, which I know Olsen has 64 scenario, and 120. I would take Harper just because of he's Bryce like, Harper and he's won MVP. Greater than with greater than to equal at first, you know, yeah. like just in terms of offensive value, right field, slam dunk, center field, giving it to Michael Harris over whoever the, the Phillies throw out there in left field, probably giving it to the Braves as well. Marcelo Zuna hit 40. I think that's closer like, than people think. And then DH, you give it to the Phillies for Schwarberg. Yeah, so I just think it's yeah. – and then the Phillies run away on the pitching side, in my opinion, and that's part of where the, yeah. the series was – That's why we're just taking lineups in, right. instead. And 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 that's my point. And I think that this is this was kind of brought on because, you know, we I saw it on Twitter and, and I just hate <laughs> – I hate these conversations. It's it's the whataboutisms, right? Of like, well, if you would take like I, I saw a guy, arrogant older guy, leans one way, don't need to name his name on Twitter, but you know, because I, I interact with baseball tweets, you know, you sometimes get these these toxic tweets as well. And he said if you would take Mike Trout over Bryce Harper in a postseason series, you either don't care about winning or you don't know ball. And I sat there and I reflected on it because Mike Trout has so much playoff experience, or exactly. What's the basis Bryce Harper of- <laughs> was not a knight in shining armor in his first twenty-five to, to thirty playoff series. Like, right, like that was a knock on Bryce Harper. So, like, yes, there is a maturity aspect, but I don't like. I don't have a gut feel on where I'd go there. My 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 brain it's just tells not as me cut and dry as that person made it's it not seem. as cut and dry as that person made it seem but like i don't think you're an idiot if you would prefer mike trout because as we're talking about is like you can't quantify the fact that they're going to slow the moment down you can't quantify the fact that they're just going to perform at the most important time and bryce harper has been an absolute cheat code over the last two playoffs but you also can't quantify that bryce harper is going to be an absolute cheat code over the next two playoffs well, like also, you know like, like I, everything I, is fluid is how much of his postseason experience with the Nationals has helped him in the two postseasons we've now seen with the Phillies. Mike Trout's played three post, and it's it's so funny it's because like, Mike Trout was the like consensus best player in baseball, and there was no argument for like I don't know six years, seven years, and now like the hip thing to say is that Mike Trout's overrated and he's not that good and he's not. A, he's played three playoff games. He's been injured. I get that. He might not be the best player anymore just because of availability. And but if playoffs he's healthy, in like baseball, I, you can't carry your team to the playoffs in baseball. No, you and can't. it's just the it's like the hipster thing to do now is to say that Mike Trout's not that good. Well, it's it, like you the, know what I think is the, the cool funniest thing? thing. It's like the like oh, I'm so smart about baseball and I'm so like I know ball. Mike Trout's overrated, and it's like. No, you're just you're he's just not. going against the grain. We can all do that. Like I can show Hey Otani's so, not that good. He's always hurt. Like you want, I can start that narrative next year too. Yeah, and bang on the table for it. And I think that it's funny because we spent the whole because I know where you leaned on this, and and maybe you still lean this way, but 
when Bryce Harper was a national, what was the thing? Bryce Harper's overrated. He'll never be Mike Trout. That was the hit. Now the narrative is Mike Trout will never be Bryce Harper because he has like because he hasn't done what because he hasn't had a team that's because his front office executive suck at drafting. Well, and I saw like I don't want to I don't want to spend this whole episode talking about Trout, but I saw someone say that like. Mike Trout, a Philly fan, it was just like Mike Trout could have been a part of this, but he was, you know, he took the money in L.A. And I saw someone with half a brain be like, when Mike Trout signed that contract, Shohei Otani just won rookie of the year. He probably thought he was going to have a pretty good team to play on moving forward. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he probably did. And not to mention, it's like, because so, that's what I said, because I read somewhere that somebody was like, we were talking about like, oh, Mike Trout should demand a trade. I said, I read somewhere that he doesn't want to. I said, Southern California must be a phenomenal place to live for a rich person, right? Like, it's <laughs> just like, you know, for somebody that doesn't have a care in the world, like he's still able, he's rich enough to get to every Philadelphia Eagles game he wants to get to. He's able to get home whenever he wants to. He probably has a beautiful house. The weather never breaks below 75. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, the house he built him. in South Jersey is unbelievable. I mean, yeah, and like, and he's got four hundred fifty bills in the bank. Like, okay, like I good. wouldn't, I wouldn't be yeah. rushing it. Like, I, and I think people get like us as fans get so caught up in like, well, these guys care. Like, maybe Mike Trout doesn't care about his playoff legacy. Maybe he doesn't. Right. right. And 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 they did the comparison because again, the, the conversation's been that that Mike Trout and Harper and Mike Trout is world's better than Harper on a career and just everything, whether it's yearly average, whether it's cum- cumulative numbers, everything. And that's not a knock on Bryce Harper by me He's identifying the best that. players in our generation. And somebody said like, this is how good Mike Trout's been was somebody quote tweeted and said, I swear every night we go to sleep, they add wins above replacement to Mike Trout. <laughs> like, like he's sitting at like 89 and Crane Griffey finished. Like he, he's already passed hall of famers in wins above replacement. And he's still got 10 more years left on his contract. Like this is, dude that if he got like he's and and again we don't need to spend any more time on on mike trout but i think this is a good conversation point because it leads exactly to what we were talking about off air with max scherzer and talking about how playoff you know legacy and and showing up in these moments and there obviously is an element of you know being able to perform but you want to know who the best postseason pitcher that i was able to watch every time they towed the slab Andy Pettit? Steven Strasburg. Mm. Steven Strasburg is not in the Major League Baseball right Pettit now. Was pretty Steven good. Strasburg, yeah, definitely. But Steven Strasburg could put his head at night saying he's one of the best postseason pitchers of all time and he's a World Series MVP. And yeah, he's got Billies in the bank and, and he's not in hard change for money. But like at the end of the day, it's like, does that matter? Right? Does that matter in terms of how people perceive Steven Strasburg? No, they still think he was a, you know, injury prone bust in some people's case i don't think he was a bust but um it's just like those scenarios it's like max scherzer has been phenomenal for the accumulation of a whole career and he's a first ballot hall of famer he's one of the best pitchers we've ever seen dominant in stretches and unbelievable when he signed in dc and just continued to get better every year it felt like and people still want to trash on him when he has a bad start coming off the il and claiming that he's not a big game pitcher yeah, and I don't like to – I mean, I think it's unfair. I mean – hold on one second. I'm going to sneeze, so I need a minute here to gather my thoughts and hold this sneeze in. Um, I, I, for one – like, fans are going to interpret everything. That's what sports is. Like, you're allowed to interpret and, and form opinions on guys however you want in whatever situation, whether it's fair or not. But I think judging Max Scherzer off of to start last night is completely unfair in my opinion. I mean, he hasn't – I, we weren't sure he was going to be healthy. He hadn't pitched in I don't know how long. He was hurt. He comes back. He's got to face an Astros team, which is no easy thing. And like you said, like the stuff was all right, but like he wasn't crisp. And it was like you could tell that the adrenaline kind of got to him in the second inning there. And he gives up five runs in four innings. And, and again, he hasn't had unbelievable postseason numbers, sure. But I think it's it's kind of unjust to judge Scherzer, especially on last night's outing. Like he, it's tough. It is tough. And luckily they were up to nothing, and and it would have been way worse if they were down to nothing. And like, oh, Scherzer's return to save us from the brink, and and you know, they go down three nothing because he has the start he has last night. But I I, I just think that's a kind of an unfair one. Not many pitchers in baseball can go from not pitching since September with 
you know, pretty pretty major injury, not a blister, Max Fried. You're not that gets different. Um, to just going out there and you know he threw one sim game the day after they celebrated the DS, and he even had the quote like it was weird. I've never pitched a game you know hungover before. So like he clearly like that's the one prep he got before this as far as seeing hitters. He goes out there and it's the Houston Astros who are in you know animal in a corner mode, you know backs arched because they're down two nothing. Like that's a tough spot to be put in if you're Scherzer. And I'm not going to judge him, but if fans fans want to run their victory laps, you know, and I, I said this to you off air, I had two group chats that were blowing up, dunking all over him last night. Fine. Like, I, I can't change your mind on that. I'm not going to be in that camp. I just don't think it would be fair to him. And I hope he gets another start and kind of course corrects here. Yeah, I mean, he was the he was the starting pitcher in a game seven of a World Series. Hurt. One, that, that was one. That was one. I don't think he was the winning pitcher looking at the box score because the Nationals scored three in the seventh inning and he pitched five. Yeah, so he was not the winning pitcher. Patrick Corbin was. And Patrick Corbin came basically hung his career out on the line there um, for, for that playoff run. But, you know, and he wasn't Chris, but he went five innings and only gave up two earned and gave his team a shot. And he was dealing with back problems. So, like, again, while I get it, was he good in the in the Mets most important games last year. Well, really, quite frankly, Mets fans, I don't really care about your opinion about anything baseball related, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say maybe he didn't show up. And maybe with the Dodgers at point in time, he hasn't, he didn't show up when he was with them in the postseason. And then on top of that, obviously this year, it's, you know, it's becoming a common theme, but there's also a common denominator between those last three years since the 2019 World Series run is his back has not been 100%. Since 2019, when he went on the IL with the back shoulder problem, whatever it was, or or skipped a start. I mean, you know how you know how hard it must be for Max Scherzer to skip a World Series start, right. and he did that against the Astros when he played for the Nationals, and he hasn't been right since. And and all things considered, like I know context is not what reasonable fans want at this point or not unreasonable fans want at this point in time. And, and context isn't even something that reasonable fans analyze this time of year because they want cut and dry. This guy's good in the playoffs. Again, Michael Jordan, LeBron debate type situation, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick have ruined this for, for everybody else. Athletically it's like, if you don't win the big game, you're, you're a bust and you're not a good player, coach, manager, whatever it is. It's just it's tough to see because Max Scherzer deserves as Clayton Kershaw does. I know I talked about this last time. They deserve all the credit for the athletic feats that they've had, and they should not be torn apart because you know of a couple bad starts in in October and November when when there are so many factors that going into having a bad start outside of well that guy just doesn't have it have what it takes you know and and. That that's just where I draw the line, but uh, I mean, let's get your thoughts on kind of how that that series unfolds. I think my brain went to immediately. Um, the Astros were down two zero, leaving Houston when they played the Nationals in twenty nineteen. They returned back to Houston up three two. What are the odds we see something similar? Obviously, they have one in in tow right now, and and they're in a good position to obviously potentially win the next two. But that's not out of the question for the Houston Astros. I don't know how much this stat matters, but after last night, they're seven and one in Texas this year against the Rangers. Um, so they clearly have something going on in Texas this year. Um, it could just be one of those weird baseball things. I don't know. Um, they're all, they've also won fifteen of the last eighteen road playoff games, which is pretty incredible. Weird. And add on to it, right? One of the big storylines of this postseason has been the Phillies at Citizens Bank Park. The Astros, after Game Three of that World Series last year, went down two one. Um, and then won the next two in Philly to go home up 3-2 and eventually win the World Series in six. So that team, like, they are playoff road warriors. And I think this is interesting because, you know, I think the Rangers going up 2-0 gave them, you know, the advantage in the series. And I still would say they have a slight advantage, but it was never like, oh, this series is over. Like, they're going home, they're up 2 nothing. like the Astros might not even make it back to Houston. It was like, no, this Astros team, this is seven straight years in the ALCS. They've been through everything. Like, this is it outside of the, the Mickey Mouse year? This is what 20, 21, 22. They've been to three straight full season World Series. Am I correct on that? Or 19, yeah. 21, and 22. 
they went to three straight full season World Series. They lost the Nationals, lost to the Braves, beat the Phillies. Yes, yes. And in, and and the two years they haven't gone to the World Series, eighteen when the Red Sox won it in twenty twenty when it was the weird shortened year anyway. So like seven, you know, they've been in four World Series in the last seven years. They've like this team has seen every type of postseason situation you can see. So I. They're again, their backs are up against the wall, and this isn't a team who folds when their backs are up against the wall. They're going to take it one pitch at a time, they're not going to panic in these moments. They are going to just continue to play one at bat, one inning at a time, one game at a time to try and get themselves back into this thing. Could they go back to, to Houston up 3 2? Absolutely. Do I think that they, they're they going to win this series? No, I still think the Rangers are going to win this series personally. I just think that the Rangers, like. Look at the Rangers. They went down early in that game. They lost the game 8-5. Like yeah. The Rangers no, are fighting exactly, still, too. Like, it's not like that, the, that exactly game was... exactly where I was going to go. That, that wasn't a blowout. That, yeah. yeah. That team handled that exactly like you would expect a professional team that's not going to be caught up in the moment would handle it, right? They took the the beating early, the the 5 nothing deficit, whatever it was exactly. Um, their starting pitcher not giving them what they needed to win and and proceeded to fight back and put themselves in a position to win the ball game. And that's all you can ask for from any – like a team that would be caught up, like a young team, right, that gets kicked in the – punched in the face and doesn't respond back with five runs of their own, that's when you start to go, ooh, I don't know if they're going to handle it. They're going to show up today, tonight, and they're going to be fine. They're going to trust fine. it. They're going to be fine. I, I 100% believe this. I don't think this is just a team that's that's playing their best baseball this time of year and is going to fold. They ain't going to fold. I, I trust the veterans that they have. I trust Corey Seager. has been one of the best players in baseball this postseason. And I trust that this, as they turn back to Jordan Montgomery and, and Nathan Eovaldi over the next, you know, for game five and game six, like those are guys who have been – true aces and if it gets to seven the same thing i said about the mike trout and harper the same thing i said about the braves lineup for the phillies i guarantee every person in that clubhouse and every coach on that staff trust throwing max scherzer out there in a game seven. Oh, for sure will trust that he will put them in a position to potentially win and, and proceed to the world series if it gets to seven games yeah, I think the X factors kind of moving forward for me in the series have kind of flipped to Framber Valdez and, and Jose or Kitty. Because we've seen now Jordan Montgomery and Nathan Eovaldi kind of perform against this Astros lineup. And if Framber Valdez can't kind of rekindle what he had last postseason, he's been very up and down this entire year. He's had a good DS start, had a bad game two against the Rangers. Like if he continues to ride that roller coaster, I think it's kind of hard for the Astros to come back. Um, again, I don't, and cause Verlander isn't the Justin Verlander we're used to seeing. Uh, he was lucky to get through, you know, we said it on here when it was happening, like he can get through six innings in this start, but he was lucky to get through six innings. Like if he comes out next start and he's the same and with Montgomery and Eovaldi sitting there, like I, I, that's why I still lean to the Rangers. But if for Kitty who pitched to a, you know, like a mid five ERA this year, I know he was great in the DS, but like they get on him tonight and Heaney can give you anything, keep you in a game like he's done, you know, throughout the first two rounds of this. I don't see why Texas kind of doesn't go up three, one tonight. Yeah. So real quick and we'll get out of here. Um, any thoughts of changing your picks? I went Rangers and Phillies, right? I, I know I Rangers went Rangers and Phillies. I went Rangers and Phillies. We stock together. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, because I, I just think this Philly series. If, if I'll be shocked if it's coming back to Philadelphia, I would be too. I would be just the the pitching matchups in games three and four are just so heavily tilted towards the Phillies. And then in game five, we saw. I mean, again, where we said it was a wash before, after seeing it in game one, like. It's an advantage for the Phillies to have Wheeler against Gallon. Like there's not yeah. a game in this series where the Phillies don't have the pitching advantage. So and Arizona, we haven't talked about it again because we've been talking so much about the Phillies. That offense has done nothing. Nothing through two games. Well, again, it's what we talked about. I I think you could circle back to the whole episode if you want to hear our opinions on on that. It's just Things happen, right? You catch a hot right. streak and then you go cold and you cannot predict when your lineup's going to be hot, when it's going to be cold. And, and right now, Arizona's running into a buzzsaw of a pitching staff and a bullpen that's pitching as well as they have all year. And they're not scoring runs like they did against the the sieve of a Dodgers rotation, 
right? Like that was a, that was a walk in the park for them. Um, at that point, the way the Dodgers pitchers were pitching. And, and then obviously on the other end, Texas being up 2-0 make, Tate made me more comfortable the game last night because Houston Astros devil magic, you know, you worry about that stuff, but I think that this team is mature enough. It, they're veteran led. Their their pitching staff yeah, is mature. They, this is not this is not the young guys, the emotional young guys. Nobody's going to be folding their arms, standing in right field, not being able to handle the moment. And I, and I think they're going to put themselves in a in a pretty good position to win. But any closing thoughts before we let our listeners get out of here? No, it's been it's been obviously a very fun postseason for me. So hopefully it continues. And I think you're right. The Rangers aren't going to get spooked. No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And and as we round into an hour on an episode that we didn't know what we were going to talk about, um, I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes twice weekly, always hitting your feed in the morning. Uh, this is going to come out after we record this, so it's going to be hitting the feeds around 11 a.m. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.